Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. This is a 2020 night. Are y'all ready? I don't think you're ready. It's been good, but it's about to get more good, better, greater. Whatever the word is, it is. Oh man, I'm so excited. I wish I was in the room with you guys tonight. Like this is the first time literally where I'm like, okay, I've been making it through. I've been missing them, but I, I'm, I'm good guy. I've been handling this, but oh, I wish I was in the room with you guys tonight. I still believe, I'm telling you, I still believe that this is the year that God said he called us to see Jesus and see like him. I know that this is the year that God called us now into greater things. And I, I had this, this realization this last week. Sometimes as we're trying to hear from God and we're like, God, speak a new thing to me. Tell me what you're saying here. Sometimes the newest thing that we can hear from God is the oldest thing that we can remember him telling us. And I remember at the end of 2019, God was telling me so clearly that this was going to be a year that was going to be 2020, the year to see Jesus and see like him. And God gave me four prophetic words for this year. Now I preached one of them. The first one I already preached in January was faith to see the unseen. Now, I knew that was a word from God. If you haven't seen that uh, message yet, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just click the description here and you can watch that message. All about understanding that faith is not blind. Faith has eyes. Faith just sees beyond what we can see in the natural. So God told me this year of having faith to see the unseen. Greater faith, I believe we as a church, as Gateway, pastor has seen this greater faith in this season than we've ever had before. The second thing God told me is that this going to be a year that there's going to be deliverance from the lust of the eyes. Specifically, we're going to talk about that and eyes to see the least of these. Let me just brag on you guys for a second. I know this year looked different than we were thinking. I know that we didn't anticipate to be in quarantine and all this stuff, but I believe that, that it's been incredible to watch you all reach out to people, to not leave people out, to invite people, to love on people, that God would give us eyes. I'm going to preach about that soon to see the least of these. And last but not least, the fourth thing he told me this year that God was going to give clear vision and clarity, vision and clarity for the future. And I know maybe a lot of seniors and stuff, this is a good word for you because everything that you were planning this year just looks different now. The way you thought you're going to graduate, you know, it's looking different. Everything is shifting, changing for all of us. And we need vision and clarity. We have to hear from God to see what he would have us see. Tonight though, if you're ready to get into it, I believe it's gonna be a powerful word. I think it's a timely word that we need to hear on this 2020 night. I wanna talk about, zone into deliverance from the lust of the eyes. That's simply the title of my message uh, tonight, deliverance from the lust of the eyes. Shakespeare once said that the eyes are the window to your soul. You've probably heard that phrase before, the eyes are the window to the soul. Basically what he's meaning by this is that the soul speaks through the eyes. When you look into somebody's eyes, it's telling a story. The soul, what is within them, is speaking so loud and clear. Experts who study faces, they really understand facial movement and gestures, facial recognition type things. Ones that study this, they say that the eyes are the most sincere part of the face because we don't have the ability to control our eyes. Now we can control our eyelids, but we can't control our eyes. They're completely sincere, they're honest at their core, where 
On the opposite side of things, you look at the ability with the mouth. We can shift the mouth, duck lips, girls taking their selfies here, you know. I, you know, people do like that upside down smile. I can, is that right? Am I doing that? Is that right? No, it's not very good. Okay. You can control the mouth, right? Where the eyes can, can be completely uncontrolled and completely sincere. So I guess I'm looking at it this way. If the soul speaks through the eyes, then couldn't it be determined in this 2020 conversation that we're not talking about just what we see on the external, but we're also discussing what exists in the internal as well. Really what it comes down to is that this message tonight is not just a matter of the eyes. When we say 2020, we're not just necessarily talking about the eyes and what we see, but it's a connection between the eyes and our soul, between what our soul feels and what our eyes see. They're very connected. This week I started reading in the book of Judges, and I just get ticked when I read the Old Testament because like, the Israelites, man, they're like following God and then they're like going against God and they're doing their own thing and they're living in sin. And I always just get a little bit frustrated. And where I started in, in the book of Judges, chapter one, Joshua, who followed Moses, Moses was the one that brought them out of um, Egypt and through the Red Sea and all these amazing miracles. Well, Joshua followed him and God used Joshua to take amazing territory, literally used them to go and and annihilate enemies that were against them and take new land and all this. Well, in the beginning of a judge is Joshua dies. Joshua dies. He, you know, he, he's not, no longer on the earth. They don't have their leader anymore. But God tells him, listen, we started a mission here. We said we're going to take territory. I want you to finish that. So he tells the 12 tribes of Israel to go and to take the territory they'd had for him. Here was the problem, though. They went and they inhabited the territory, but they didn't remove the inhabitants of the territory. God had wanted them to take territory, it to be their own, for them to possess it, not to share it. He had it for them. But what they did is they kept the foreigners and the enemies of God and the enemies of them in the land with them. And here's the problem with that, is as they kept them in the land with them, it says in in, uh, Judges 3, verse 6, that they took their daughters, the Israelites, in marriage and gave their, um, their daughters to their sons, meaning the foreigners, and served their gods. It says in, in chapter 2, verse 11, that then the, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Well, so what am I saying here with these two scriptures? They got so comfortable with the enemy, so comfortable with people that God didn't want them to be with, that literally they were giving their daughters into marriage, and they were taking the daughters from the foreigners and marrying their sons to them. And it says that they served their gods. In this next verse, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. That phrase, evil in the eyes of the Lord, is really important for tonight. The Bible says, if you read throughout chapter 2, that they bowed down and they worshipped other gods. See, when this happened, the Lord went from delivering them from the hands of the enemy to delivering them into the hands of the enemy. What do I mean by that? God wants to deliver you from what you're currently dealing with. He wants to deliver us from addictions. He wants to deliver us from strongholds. He wants to deliver us from sin. But see, what happened here is because they turned away from the Lord, because they turned away from God and decided to go their own way and follow what they wanted, because they turned away from the Lord. When I say that He went from delivering them from to delivering them into, when you turn from God, you tie His hands. 
So what happened was they tied God's hands to, to lead them any longer, to deliver them, tied, tied his hands to say, you're not our God anymore. We're going to worship Baal. We're going to worship at the Asheroth poles. We're going to bow down before other gods. So because they tied his hands, this is the moment that he goes from delivering them from the hands now into the hands of the enemy. When the scripture says that he delivered them into the hands of the enemy, that means that what he did is he pulled his hand back from them. He made a conscious decision to say, you know what? If you're going to worship other gods besides me, you've made that decision. I'm also making a decision now to make you realize that if you're going to tie my hands, all that I can do now is let you go, which means now you exist in the hands of the enemy, not mine anymore. You've tied my hands. See, this is really important as I look at this phrase that the, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord because their eyes did evil and the Lord's eyes saw the evil. I would say it this way, just very simply, our eyes at their core, at the simplest part, if they're led improperly, they have the ability to so drastically mislead us. This phrase, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, is so interesting to me. Really what it means is that what our eyes lead us towards, God's eyes notice. God's eyes are watching what our eyes are watching. That's a crazy thought. You ever thought about it? That what you choose to look at with your eyes, God sees what you're looking at. God is watching what you do with your eyes. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did what they wanted. They put their eyes on foreign people, foreign gods, the foreign worship, and they did evil in his eyes because their eyes were set on something else. kind of makes me think about when I started writing the song Emotion, man, however many years ago that was, six years or something like that, and uh, man, four years, something like that. And I, I remember I, had, I just had this one line, this is not just emotion. That's all I remember. And I asked Pastor Luke to make a track. I remember we were headed on vacation to Mexico. He made this track. And so I uh, listened to it, the flight. He pumped it out quick. And I'm listening to it the whole vacation. And the verse, I remember I started off the verse and it just says, I'm stuck between the lines and the highs and lows can find because what I'm staring at is not my God. I, I kind of like imagine like the old game Pong where the, you know, the, like the little ball goes back and forth. But I imagine the ping pong paddles like this and my life was just like, and many, I wrote this based upon many students I was talking to being led by their emotions and their life was just ping ponging. There was no consistency. It was just highs, lows, highs, lows, emotions, dragging them around every day. But the part that really hit me, I believe Pastor Steve kind of helped me finish this lyric. I'm stuck between the lines of the highs and lows confined because what I'm staring at is not my God. When I think of the Israelites and I think of the highs and lows of their life and bouncing all over the place, not following the Lord, it's because what they put their eyes on was not their God. We're saying this year, 2020, this is the year. 2020 to see Jesus and see like him, to fix our eyes on who he is, to put our trust in who he is, to look to him and nobody else. Very simply, can I tell you tonight, if your eyes aren't on Jesus, they only have the ability to be on evil. It's two options. Place your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus or fix your eyes on anything but Jesus. The options outside of Jesus only lead us to destruction. They only place us in the hands of the enemy. They only get us off track. What I mean when I say that we need to get our eyes on Jesus and not on evil, we have to realize is that the heart 
is aligned with our eyes. And so when we talk about the soul, the heart, the eyes, they're aligned together. So if your heart isn't aligned with him, if you're not aiming to honor him, if you're not looking to him to be your help, to be your guide, you will be easily led astray into evil. And what you will do is you will wander trying to find what the world has to offer, setting your eyes on anything and everything but him, and you will find yourself in destruction. And see, because your eyes are so intertwined with your heart, this is how it works. What your eyes focus on, your heart will fall in love with. What your eyes focus on, what they fixate upon, your heart will fall for. You know, the Apostle John, he really spoke to this. You got the last four books of the Bible, our first, second, third John. Oh, sorry, you got Jude and Revelation. And John wrote first, second, third John, he wrote Revelation. And in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 7, he talks about this idea of falling in love with the world. Look at this. He said, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, here it is, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. I believe tonight that if you are listening, no matter where you're listening from, no matter what you're going through, no matter whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you are under the sound of my voice, I think we could both say that we have gotten off track in a lot of different ways with our life. God has allowed this quarantine season to try to get us on track. Now, whether or not we get on track is up to us, but God's given us this season to get on track. And I believe specifically tonight, we've gotten off track to a certain degree that God tonight is bringing us to a place that we would acknowledge, I need deliverance. We talk about deliverance from the lust of the eyes. This exact phrase, God, like I didn't tweak it. God spoke this exact phrase to me at the end of 2019. And I believe tonight is the night he wants to share it. Now, I had a little bit of a misunderstanding of what I thought this was going to be about. I actually, if I were to tell you uh, a while back when I began studying and before quarantine and all that, what I thought I was going to preach about, it was something completely different. But the Lord finally led me to an understanding when he talks about deliverance from the lust of the eyes. What is he talking about? What is the lust of the eyes? The Apostle John here, he, he references three indicators. If you are struggling with any one of these three things he's saying, then you have a love for the world. You love the world more than you love God. If you have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. This is an indicator that you have allowed the focus of your eyes to dictate your heart falling in love with the world. He says these three things, and you have to understand that these things will be evident in your life if your eyes are more focused on anything but Jesus. It's not just specifically, oh, that is definitely sinful. No, if you're more focused on anything, it could be a good thing. It could be my wife, my son, it could be a friend. It could be, uh, it could be I don't know, some things like, like an athlete that you like or whatever. Anything that you focus on more than Jesus begins to dive right here into the lust of the eyes. 
Now all three of these, lust of the flesh, eyes, and pride of life, they're very connected. Very connected. I wish I had a whole sermon just to dig into those three, or probably a series, three sermons we could dig into them. But when you look specifically at the lust of the eyes, what this is talking about is a desire to possess what we see. It's a desire, it's a craving inside of us to have things that are visually appealing to us. Things that when we look at them, it gets us sidetracked, it gets us wanting, it gets us yearning for it. Now what I want to do tonight, rather than putting it all up on the screen, I'm going to go a little bit slow. I want you to take notes of this. And what I want you to do, if you can as you're taking notes, just write down the main heading. I'll give you the description with each heading. I want you to write down essentially, you're battling the lust of the eyes if. Okay, write that wherever you're taking notes. You're battling the lust of the eyes if. And what I'm going to give you right now is a checklist to determine if you're in need of deliverance from the lust of the eyes. Now, as I've gone through this checklist, I'll just tell you right off the bat, I am in need. Some of us may be in like severe need where we're way off track and some just need like a checkup. But either way, we're in need of deliverance. I want you to write that down and then maybe put like a little like a uh, little box or bubble or something you could like actually check. And as I give you each heading, I want you to uh, either as the message goes, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you or maybe even at the end of it, maybe in prayer tomorrow, wherever you would find a moment to allow God to continue to speak. I want you to ask yourself these questions. Am I struggling with this? Am I giving into this? So here we go. You're battling the lust of the eyes if you find yourself wanting the latest whatever. Fill in the blank. You're finding yourself wanting the latest technology, wanting the latest fashion whatever, shoes or um, certain clothes or I don't know when sandals become popular sandals are really expensive actually you got to have yourself some nice tevas or what it was tevas and then it became some other popular brand whatever girls would know they're gonna probably put it in the chat right now i don't know what it is you're finding yourself wanting to be a part of whatever the latest social trends are you're seeing these things you're wanting it you're craving it if you're finding yourself wanting to be a part of the latest whatever you're battling the lust of the eyes here's another one for you you're battling the lust of the eyes if you covet money or possession, any possessions. The uh, Ten Commandments are really clear. Coveting is literally a, a, a one of the Ten Commandments that's a sin. But it's directly connected to the lust of the eyes because what happens with a lot of people when it comes to money, even at a young age, is you're fixated on the American dollar. You might go to college and get a degree or find a job just to make a lot of money because you're fixated on making a lot of money. You're caught up in seeing a lot of money in your bank account, seeing a lot of money in your pocket, being able to high roll, being able to do what you want with that money. Maybe, maybe it's possessions. Maybe it's even you want to buy a lot of possessions yourself. Like if you see an ad pop up on social media or TV or a billboard, like you're that person like on those, I don't know, like uh, as seen on TV, like infomercials, whatever, like you're the person buying stuff. Like you have this obsession with possession. You have an issue with it. You covet and you have to have possessions. Or maybe you covet other people's stuff. That's like a real issue maybe for some people. You see the car they're driving. You see some sort of, I don't know, fun toys like four-wheeler or dirt bike or boat or whatever it is. Could be somebody's instrument that they possess, like a possess, like a possess, possess, possess. I keep saying possess, uh, possess. Uh, could be like a, a, a guitar that you wish that you could have or it could be a TV or uh, some sort of, I don't know, video game unit, I'm hearing like the new Xboxes and stuff coming out, or maybe like five, 600 bucks or whatever it is. Like, and you see that and you're just like 
so upset because you want that and somebody else has that and you, you gotta have that. You gotta have it. It's not just the latest thing. You gotta have what somebody else has. That's coveting. It goes even into other things with like people and all kinds of things that you can covet. So you covet money or possessions. You know that you're battling the lust of the eyes. Here's another one. If you struggle with discontentment. A couple of these are kind of like they're dark horses. They're kind of like nothing I would have thought of, but I really felt the Holy Spirit begin to reveal these things even today. You struggle with discontentment. You actually never feel content. You don't feel content with your accomplishments. You don't feel content with your life. You don't feel content with what you have or what you've done or what you, uh, you know, have uh, accomplished in your life, your family, your job, your, um, you know, the things in your life that would give you certain accolades or whatever, you never feel content. So you not only always want more, but you always, but you also want what other people have. So you're never content because your eyes are fixated upon what other people are doing, what other people have. It's not that you're just even wanting it. That's the struggle with coveting there. But then there's the internal discontentment that you feel not being able to have what other people have. You think that any one thing, this is a thought in your mind, that any one thing will resolve your unhappiness. Well, if I just have had that, if I could just afford that, if I could just live there, if I could just accomplish this, if I could just have this achievement, whatever it is, then I would be happy. And you think that one thing is going to resolve your unhappiness and your discontentment. And see, this is the trap that the devil tries to dangle in front of your eyes to infiltrate your mind. He wants to get from here to here to here. And so what he does is he dangles this in front of you to think, man, if you just had this, then you'd be content. If you could just accomplish this, you would be content. And he spins this spiral in front of you to fix upon, to think that if I could just do this, then yeah, I'd finally be happy. If I could move here, I'd be happy. If the weather was just nicer, I'd be happy. Now, actually, that, that does help, help a little bit with that vitamin D, but you get my point. If it was just this and this and this, and you live within this contentment. If you struggle with contentment, you're definitely battling, battling with the lust of the eyes because it's how you're looking at your, even your own life, not just even other people. Let's talk about other people though, other things, things that you focus on outside yourself. You're, you're struggling with the lust of the eyes if you give into comparison. The Lord revealed this to me that comparison is connected to the lust of the eyes. I never actually saw it this way. A lot of people probably wouldn't even consider comparison to be a part of the lust of the eyes. But listen, if you're comparing your life to someone else, something else, anything else besides Jesus, do you know what you've done? You've taken your eyes off of Jesus and you've put it on someone or something else. If your eyes are not on Jesus, they only have the opportunity and the ability to fix upon evil. So you become uh, full of comparison, which makes you full of insecurity, which makes you full of anxieties and many things that come along with it. And it all started with the lust of the eyes. Looking at somebody or something else, maybe it could be on Instagram, looking at the Insta life and just wishing that you had their life. Or you look at some, maybe young lady, you look at another young lady and you see that her beauty as your ugliness. And immediately it makes you just feel all full of this comparison and this insecurity and everything that you're feeling. It might sound weird, but it's the lust of the eyes happening. It's when we begin to compare ourselves to other people or to other things that are outside of our control. It's not our business or our problem to be worrying about other people, but what we do is we take our eyes off Jesus and we fix our eyes on other people. You become 
so focused, some of you, wishing that you had certain talents that other people have, that it becomes almost a sickness inside of you. You wish you could sing like that, or you wish you could do that, and you feel like you're trying so hard, but you'll never be good enough, and you almost then put yourself into this place of feeling unworthy, feeling not enough, feeling like, honestly, like a piece of crap, and feeling like you amount to nothing, and it's simply because you didn't look to Jesus to be the one that gave you your talent. You didn't look to Jesus to be the one that gave you your anointing. You looked everywhere else but Jesus. I would say that you're battling with the lust of the eyes. If you look at someone, specifically let me say, someone that you shouldn't be looking at, but you deeply desire somebody. You know, uh, in the Ten Commandments in the Bible, it talks about coveting your neighbor's wife. I think it references it somewhere like that. If you're looking to anyone, it could be in your private time on a computer screen that you shouldn't be doing, or it could be out in the public life. If you're looking at anyone and you're wanting something that you shouldn't have, that is the lust of the eyes. Now, this is where the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh kind of like tangle together. It could be you're looking at somebody of the opposite sex, and let me just put this out there. The Holy Spirit told me to say this, and you're even looking at somebody of the same sex. That is the lust of the eyes. Now, the point in which it it moves into the, the lust of the flesh is when we finally take action now in our flesh. I'll talk about that here in a second. Opposite sex, same sex, married, unmarried. This could be in everyday life that it's happening or it could be in your private time. You are desiring and craving someone so bad you want them because you're discontent. It could be a married person because what you have isn't nearly as good as what they have. Man, if my wife was just like this, and you begin to look elsewhere and the lust of your eyes begin to lead you everywhere but saying, Jesus called me to my wife. I'm one flesh with my wife and Jesus. But you begin to look elsewhere. This is what happens in marriage. This is the scary thing. I'm just giving you like a, I don't know, a, a, a look into where your life could be if you don't get a hold of this now, if you don't have some deliverance. Because married couples, what they do is they get on Facebook, they get on Instagram, whatever. They start looking up old classmates. It's honestly innocent at first. I wonder what they're up to. Or it could be a coworker, whatever it is. And whether the intention is fully innocent or not, it really doesn't matter. They're doing it. And it starts with the scrolling. Next thing you know, it starts with the eyes looking at them saying, man, I just got to have them. Oh man, if I just had them and they're feeling discontent in their marriage or whatever it is. And next thing you know, there is now this, this marrying between the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. So what happens is at first, they were just with their eyes taking it in and that, and that, was kinda, that desire is now slowly growing to the lust of the eyes, but then it grows into the lust of the flesh. That's how affairs happen. Finally, they go and that lust of the flesh takes hold of them and it's rooted in sexual desire. Because lust of the flesh doesn't just mean sexual desire, it's other desires as well. But let's just say in this case, for example, it becomes rooted in sexual desire. You have an affair. Many times affairs then lead to divorce. And now you, you think you were discontent. You think you were messed up. You think, think things were hard. Now be on your own and see how much harder it is. See how much harder it is when you're, you're trying to fall asleep at night and you can tell you're all alone. And then what a lot of people do is they'll hop around either from marriage to marriage or from um, sex encounter to sex encounter or to pornography or whatever it is, trying to fulfill themselves. And if they would just listen, right here at your age, right now, I need deliverance from my eyes because my eyes are misleading me. I need my eyes focused on Jesus. And if you would just get it right now, you wouldn't have to be any statistic or any bottom line fact that I'm giving you about all the things that I've seen in ministry and I've watched our pastor deal with in ministry growing up in a home like that. It starts right here with getting a hold of your eyes. See, people, when they think of lust, they so many times equated immediately and strictly to sexuality. But lust is not just a sexual thing. 
lust is any desire or craving inside of you that you aim to fulfill outside of God's will and his love for you. Very simple. Now, that's my definition. That's not a Webster's definition. But it's anything inside of you just craving, needing it. You can't get it out of your mind. You can't get it out of your head. When you look at it, you got to have it. You want to touch it. You want to be there. You want to experience it. That's lust. But the reason it's lust is because it's outside of God's will and his love for you. How do I know that? Because the Apostle John referenced this in verse 17 of chapter 2. First John, he said, the world and its desires pass away. Remember, he said, do not love the world. And he started that way. He says, it passes away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So within his will and within his love, lust cannot exist. But outside of that, when your eyes are off of him, this is where lust exists. Now, in the NASB, which is the New American Standard Bible, which is what I read in my uh, personal time with the Lord, this same verse, the way it translates it, translates it is that the world is passing away, and it says, and also its lusts. It indicates here that lust can be many things. It was the lust of the eyes that got a hold of Eve in the garden. You go to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, that lust of her eyes gets a hold of her, and that's why she, she with her eyes, took in the lust, so with her ears, she listened to the lies of Satan. Look at this, Genesis 3, 6. Here it is, the eyes. When the woman saw, right away you see, you see she saw, but look, what did she see? She saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. And here it is, pleasing to the eye. And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Go back to that first part though, verse six. When the woman saw that the tree, the fruit of the tree was good for food, it looked good and pleasing to the eye. I think it's really important for us to understand that because in our culture, what everyone says is, if it looks good, experience it. If it feels good, do it. And what God is saying is, listen, just because something looks good doesn't mean you're supposed to do it. Just because, say, I'm a married man, just because a woman's attractive doesn't mean I should go out and get with her. Just because it looks good doesn't mean I should do it. I know that I'm married. I understand that my eyes can deceive me. Here is Eve being deceived by her eyes. She saw the fruit, but it was pleasing. And so many times our culture lives off of what they think is pleasing, what they think feels good, what just looks good, and it leads them astray. This is the same trap that the devil was trying to get Jesus in, except this time it didn't work. He's trying to deceive him with the lust of the eyes. If you go to the book of Matthew, Jesus is there, he's fasting, he's in the desert, he's been there for 40 days, Satan comes to tempt him, and in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, this was the third time that Jesus had done three different temptations. This is the third one, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. You see this with his eyes. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He says, all this I give you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended 
him. You get to this though, he takes him to a high place, lets him see all of this extraordinary stuff, and he shows him the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. What I love about this realization is here is Eve, one who gave in to the lust of the eyes, and here is Jesus who didn't. Remember, Jesus left heaven to come to earth in his humanity to be just like us. He didn't have like this superpower button where he hit it and it's like, will not sin. No, he had to actually lean into God, lean into the scriptures to say, I will worship God, I will serve him only. What I love about this realization in the scripture here with Jesus is Jesus shows us that just because your eyes are tempted, that doesn't mean that you have to give in to lust. Lust is not simply just when you are tempted by something. Lust is when you give in to the desire when you choose to cling to what your eyes are taking in, when you choose to want something you shouldn't want, when you choose to crave something that you shouldn't crave, and you continue to let it sit there and your eyes are saturated in that. Jesus is showing us here that just because you're tempted doesn't mean that you have to give in. See, the devil's tactic is to focus your eyes and your attention on anything but Jesus. It's not always this profound thing like, if I can get it focused on this, then it'll work. It's if I can just get their eyes off of Jesus, that's literally his tactic. If I can get them focused on anything but Jesus, because see, what happens is when we allow our eyes to be taken off of him and place it on the things of the world, we begin to become really out of focus. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we begin to look to anything else, it, gets, it all just gets really blurry. Everything gets so out of focus that what we thought we knew, what we thought we understood, the way things were, it's so out of focus now to the point that even when we look at God, it's tough to wonder if we can see clearly. God doesn't make sense anymore. We're so out of focus. His ways don't make sense to us. Like, why would he say this? Why does the Bible say that? Why does God do you know bad things to good people? And all these things we start twisting and we can't take him at his word. We can't see him clearly because things begin to get so blurry. And so many of us, we're living our lives, you don't even know it, but you're living your life blurry, you're living your life out of focus, and all that you really need to do finally is set your eyes on Jesus. Now listen to me right now. Here we are completely out of focus, understanding that this is what life looks like so much. And if you're listening to this, if you're listening to me right now, you know that your life is blurry, you know your life is out of focus, you know that you're not seeing clearly. What I wanna tell you tonight is turn your vision to the Father. What I want you to understand tonight is that if you want deliverance, if you truly want to see the way Jesus has made you to see, 2020, Him clearly, everything else clearly like He wanted you to do, then you have to understand that the lust of the eyes is such a real thing that God needs to deliver you from and it wants to lead you astray. So what I want to challenge you to do tonight is turn to Him and here's the promise. As you turn to him, you will begin to see things clearly and things in focus again. If you don't take your attention though off of other things and back onto him, things won't become clear. Things won't become focused. Things won't be the way that he ever designed them to be for you if you take your eyes off of him. Now, I told you earlier, what does it mean to have your eyes on Jesus? It means that your heart is in tune with him. You want to feel what he feels. You want to ask him what he thinks about things. You're trying to listen for his voice. You're looking to him for your decisions. You're turning to him for help. And see, when things start to get really blurry for us, and we don't realize it, we start doing things that we were never made to do. And we live our life in such a destructive manner that it takes us so off course. So here we are. I'm saying, if you want to be in focus, fix your eyes on Jesus. Here's the problem. 
as we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. You remember with the Israelites, they went and worshiped other gods. They did their own thing. The problem is when you turn on God, he actually now has turned on you. Whoa. I could be like rattling somebody's theology right now. Theology is a, a word that essentially just says like what we believe and what the Bible says and who God is. When you turn your back on God and you turn into your sin, the Father has actually now had to turn his back on you. Well, Pastor Dave, you shattered my world. God turns on me? What are you talking about? Uh, what happened that like he never leaves me, forsakes me, all that stuff? What are you talking about? Like God turns on me. See, the Father has to turn on us because he can't look on sin. It is not possible for God to look upon sin. So when we sin, what happens is God, remember, it says that the Israelites, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Here he is. He's seeing them doing evil. Do you know what his next move was after that? He turns on them. He gives them over to their sin, gives them over. It actually got to the point that because they lost the covering of God, because they chose to walk in their own ways, they chose to worship other gods, chose to marry back and forth and all that stuff, he, it was evil in his sight, so he had to turn. And it actually got to a point, they were in uh, slavery for eight years in the book of Judges in these couple chapters that I read. Eight years before they realized, God's turned on me. He has delivered me into the hands of the enemy. Like, I, this shouldn't be like this. I should be worshiping the Lord and following him. Why am I doing this? The father has to turn his back on sin because he's so holy. He is so pure. He is so perfect. And he loves us so much, but he cannot handle sin because he's, he, he's just too perfect. So he turns his back on us. Do you want me to tell you how this works? Do you want to know how you finally can come in contact with the father again? I'm going to give you two thoughts here. Let me give you the first the way that you finally can have the Father turn back towards you and have his eyes on you again because he has to be turned from sin is this verse. I will tell you, I'll explain it this way. My wife lately has been teaching my son. He knows the name Dada, but he's been teaching him the recognition of when he says Dada, I come running. I respond to the call. I answer. So what we do is I'll be hiding like behind a corner or something and Zeeland will be there and uh, mama will go, Where's Dada? You know, kind of be like looking around. And she'll go, Dada! And then I go, and I appear and I show myself. And he's like, he's so happy. So we do it all the time. We test it with mama's name and all that stuff. And he's so excited. So we're teaching him, listen, when you say Dada, Dada comes. When you call out my name, I'll be there. When you yell for me, I'm going to be there to help you. No matter what, I'm teaching him at this age already. Dada is going to be there. Eventually, probably just be dad. That's probably, you know, be probably take off the uh at the end is a little weird but dada is gonna be there you know what's powerful about god is even when you turn your back on him you know what you need to do to get him to turn back towards you here it is judges chapter 3 now we're in the same section i was reading at the very beginning this is verses 9 to 10. this is what it says about the israelites but when they cried out to the lord are you catching this when they cried out to the lord when they realized, what have I done? When they cried out to the Lord, what did he do? He raised up a deliverer, it says. Now, 
At this time in the Bible, these were different judges that God raised up. So this guy is, is Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And he, he came and he saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he could become Israel's judge and he went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hand, hand of Othniel, who overpowered him. Basically what I'm saying is, Israel cried out to God, help us. What have we done? Why did we turn our back on you? We need you. So what happened was the Lord has turned like this. The Lord can't look upon sin. But the moment that they cried out, the moment that they went, Dada, I need you, was the moment that the Lord showed up, raised up a deliverer. I love this word, a deliverer to come and rescue him. Them. You have to understand, the Lord will deliver you. But you have to start tonight by recognizing what you're caught up in to recognize that your eyes are caught up in things they're not supposed to be caught up in. Your mind is, your heart is. You have to start tonight by recognizing it. And then you know what you do? You put your trust in the Lord. You look to the Lord. You let Him be the desire of your heart. You humble yourself. You, you cry out to the Lord. You turn from your sin. You repent. And you know what He'll do? He will turn back towards you and He will deliver you and He'll give you 20-20 to see clearly again. You know why I know? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know what Jesus is? Jesus is the bridge from us to the Father. So when the Father's back is turned, 2020, to see Jesus and see like him, when the Father's back is turned, you know what? We can still look at Jesus even with our sin. The Father might not be able to come near it, but Jesus went on the cross to take our sin. So even when the Father is turned, we can see Jesus. So when we call upon the name of Jesus, the Father hears that name Jesus. And He turns back from His holiness, and He turns into the forgiveness that Jesus took on the cross with His blood for our sin. Do you understand what the name Jesus means? It means deliverer. Jesus is the deliverer of His people, the deliverer of our souls. He is the one that we can look to when we, when we feel like, you know what, we've tried everything else, we've looked everywhere else. Can I tell you tonight, would you try Jesus? Would you look to Jesus? Would you fix your eyes on Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, I want to look to you. I want to see you. I want to see what you see. Help me to feel what you feel. Help me to live the way that you call me to live. Would you give me some 2020 tonight? Jesus, our deliverer. Man, that's amazing. His name is our deliverer. And tonight, I believe that God wants to deliver some people from the lust of the eyes. Wherever you are, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes with me for a second. I want to take a moment in God's presence. And I believe, I, I, I know that He's right here. I know that He's working in our midst. I know He's speaking to you. And you got that checklist. That may be something right now you want to examine with your heart with the Lord, or maybe it's something later. But I just ask you, would you examine the eyes of your heart right now? Would you look to Jesus, a perfect example? Would you look to Him to see where you're off? See, that's the best part, is you don't have to look around to try to figure out what's messed up. You look to Jesus, and He shows you where not to look anymore. You turn your eyes upon the deliverer of your soul, and He shows you how to be delivered from the lust of the eyes. We got our eyes on a lot of different stuff, guys. We turn ourselves to a lot of places, and we do a lot of things that we know in our heart of hearts that God never called us to. And I believe tonight is the night, this is our chance, to turn to Jesus. So would you do that with me right now? However it needs to look for you, 
if you know you're just way off base and you set your eyes on so many different things and you need to dedicate your heart to him tonight, would you do that? And even in the chat, would you say, tonight I accepted Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus. We got some people standing by that they want to encourage you. They want to love on you. But I believe tonight God wants to do some work and some deliverance in people's hearts and lives. But first, I want to pray with those that just need to come into the realization of the love of God for their life. And they need to repent and turn from their sin. Tonight is your night. It is the, the moment to turn to Jesus. And when you turn to him, know what you, know, you know what you're doing? You're turning from your sin as you turn towards him. Would you pray with me tonight? Repeat after me. This is just a, an easy way to allow you to put your faith in Jesus. But we're just praying this together. It's, it's nothing specific. It's just a prayer of faith in our hearts. Would you say, Jesus... Tonight, I put my full trust in you. I fix my eyes on you. And I stop being distracted, looking to everything else. I need deliverance tonight because my eyes, my heart, and my soul I have allowed to become consumed with lust. God, I understand that lust is more than just sexual. It's anything I'm desiring or craving outside of you. I ask for a real mad love to fill me tonight, that I might desire you, that I might come closer to you. I thank you for the cross, the victory, the empty tomb, and the blood that you shed for me to prove that love so tonight you could be my deliverer. Tomorrow, the next day, be my deliverer. Every day of the rest of my life, you are my deliverer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.